0: This is the last chapter of the story. Hey, we're in chapter 31 of the story. We started like last year going through the whole Bible, and we are at the end of it. And uh, Romans chapter 15 in your Bible, in verse 4, says this. It says that everything that was written in the past, it's talking about everything that was written in the Bible, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, is that scripture still up here? Can you throw that scripture up there for me? You don't have it? Okay. Anybody who's got your Bible, look in there. and I'll read it again. I want you to listen to this. I want you to tell me this. Why do we have this? Let me read the verse again. Romans 15, 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Now, what is it written to teach us? Two things. So that we'll have endurance through the scriptures and that we will have encouragement in order that we will have hope. Everything that was written in here was ultimately written to give us hope, to teach us to have hope. And when we talk about hope, biblically speaking, it's a little bit different than the way we use hope in the English language today because now we say, like, boy, I hope it doesn't snow. Like, actually, I do. (laughs) But, you know, you, you say, like, I hope it doesn't snow, but it probably will. We say hope, and we're talking about, like, wishful thinking. Like, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Biblical hope is a lot different than that. Biblical hope is like a certainty. And here's how I'd say it this way. Uh, hope is the certainty that you're going to have something in the future that you don't presently have. Let me say that again. Hope is the certainty that you're going to have something in the future that you don't currently have. And in other words, if you know for certain, I'm going to have it, I just don't have it yet, but I know I'm going to have it. What you have right now is hope. Okay? Let me explain it this way. i I loved coming home when, when, like my grandma lived with us for a while, and I loved coming home when grandma had been baking because you'd walk in the front door, and the first thing you smelled, you just hit in the face with that, like, pie smell. Buttery crust, and maybe if it's a fruit pie, you get the, the nutmeg, and the cinnamon, and the fruit. Then you go to the oven, you look in, the crust is browning, and it's just so amazing, and you see the juice oozing up through the slits in the top crust. Oh. Do you remember that? Is that something part of your memory experience? I, I hope so, because <laughs> that is just awesome. But then it's torture, because you know there's pie in your future, but it's in the oven right now, or it's got to cool, or you've got to wait till dinner before you can have it. So you have something, you're going to have something, but you don't have it right now. But you're certain you're going to have it, what you have right now. So I don't know if your, your grandma loved you like my grandma loved me or my, my mom loved me or my wife when she makes pies. Do your, do your mom or grandma ever do this? Or they, they make the pie crust. There's always a little extra, so they, they cut it off and then put it on a pan with some cinnamon and sugar, put it in the oven. So you can't have the pie right now, but here's a little something to tide you over until you can have the pie, a little extra pie crust. Do you ever have that? This right here is that little extra pie crust to tide you over. This is the hope this is the certainty that I'm going to have something in the future, and I don't have it right now, but this promises and teaches me that there's something I'm going to have uh, eventually. It's like pie in the oven when you look at the Bible. Now, here's a question you might have, though. Well, How does this, in reading this, give us hope? How does that work? And just a few things that I think of immediately. Like I think this explains so much about our past and explains how we got here and why things are the way they are. Because when we read the story, we go back and we realize at the very beginning of all things, God created a perfect world. It, w- it wasn't messed up. We are living the legacy of some choices made thousands and thousands of years ago by our first parents, Adam and Eve. And their decisions that they made in, in disobedience to God opened the door into this perfect creation of like sin and decay and destruction and death. All of that came into the, the perfect creation that God had made. And this tells us about that. And so it even makes sense of our present. And we're like, okay, now I understand why my world is such a painful thing so many times. It's because of things that happened so long ago, and we've just continued to live the same way. But then the Bible gives us hope because it tells us about something that we never could have expected. God wrote himself into the story. I mean, this tells us that he, before he ever created the world, already had a plan to fix it. The son of God became the son of man. Jesus, this perfectly innocent man who went around doing things that reversed all that was wrong with the world, like he's healing diseases, he's stopping bad weather, he's raising people from the dead, he's teaching in a way that people are like, wow, this just makes sense, I've never had the Bible explained to me like that before, which all good things must be tortured, right? They killed him, we killed the author of life, that was really good, executed a perfectly innocent man, even that wouldn't stop him, he raised from the dead three days later, which The Bible tells us we have some hope here because of this. Because Jesus died and raised again, the Bible says that he offers to erase the guilt of all the bad things we've done in our lives. The Bible gives us hope because he says, though you are broken people, I'm willing to make you new creations and make you whole again. And the Bible says everything that you fear, what's the thing that people are scared of the most? Death? That's not even an issue anymore because if you latch on to the guy who rose from the dead, he promises you that even if you die, you'll come back to life. Like everything that's wrong with the world, Jesus says, I'm here to fix it. And this gives us hope. So he explains our past, it explains our present circumstances, and it gives us hope because it tells us about some things that haven't even happened yet. I don't know if you realize that, but there are some things that are written about in the Bible that haven't happened yet. And that's kind of where I want to focus in on today as we end the story, as I want to focus on the things that are yet to come that the Bible tells us about. Now, if you ever want to get into an argument or a controversy, here's what you need to do. Just go to a Christian who believes this, the Bible, and just ask them to explain the end times from Revelation, and then step back. because <laughs> about to come. Everybody's got an opinion about what the end of time is going to be like. And I don't really want to wade into that today. We're going to do that this summer. If you're like, oh, Revelation is awesome, we're going to study Revelation for a couple months this summer. So just get ready with your, your notebook, and we'll get into that. You can tell me how wrong I am every week. Today, all I want to do is just go through some of the things that everybody pretty much agrees on that are going to happen at the end of time, whether or not they agree on the chronology and when this happens and what. We just want to get into some of those things that are going to happen. For one thing, the Bible tells us that at the end of all things, Jesus is going to come back to the earth. So it, there was a moment in time when Jesus left the earth, and this is talked about in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. And it says this, As the apostles strained to see Jesus rising into heaven as he left the earth, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. According to this, Jesus is coming back. It's a done deal. You remember when we talked about the story uh, and we were in the part where Jesus was on earth, and we talked about all these Old Testament prophecies, hundreds of them, that predicted how he would come and when he would come and where he would be born and all that. Remember that? There are eight times as many prophecies in the Bible that talk about him coming back. And, and so, in and the same way, sometimes all these Old Testament prophecies, it was really kind of hard to figure out until you could look back in hindsight and go, oh, yeah, this happened and this happened. In the same way, I think it's going to be that with his second coming. We're going to look back and go, oh, that's what Revelation meant. Oh, But the one thing that everybody who believes this can agree on is that he's coming back. It's a done deal. Uh, Jesus himself frequently said, I will be back. Every author of the New Testament agreed he's coming back. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament talk about Jesus returning. and uh, So when we talk about it, we know he's coming, if you believe this, the thing we don't know is we just don't know when he's coming. It was the, uh, the idea and the expectation of Jesus' first followers that like he would return in their lifetime. Like I'm talking about the people who knew Jesus and listened to him teach. They saw him di- die and be buried and saw him alive again. They fully anticipated he would return to earth again in their lifetime. Uh, people who experienced that sometimes got into some bad behavior. Which is why some of the things had to be written in the New Testament that were written for us. Like, there was some bad behavior. Like, some people were like, okay, so Jesus is coming back. He could come back, like, time. I'm going to quit my job and just wait for him. Which is a brilliant idea, right? And so, Paul had to write, like, first and second Thessalonians, like, get back to work. You know, Jesus could come back tomorrow, but he could also come back, like, 2,000 years from now. So, you need to be profitable and useful and do something with your hands and quit mooching off everybody else and. Do something. Don't just wait for Jesus to come back. Other people were like thinking, you know what? I think Jesus already came back or he's not coming back at all. So Paul had to write Corinthians and say like, hey, he is coming back and there is a resurrection. So sometimes there were some misconceptions about like when Jesus will come back and that led to some bad behavior. You would think by now we would have figured this out. But apparently we're pretty slow learners because there is no shortage of people trying to tell you they know exactly when Jesus is going to come back. I'll just take you back over 100 years ago. After 14 years of studying the Bible, a pastor named William Miller came to the conclusion that I know when he's coming back. I got it. He said he's coming back in 1843. In fact, he even pinpointed the day. He's like April 3rd, 1843. Now, he was a widely respected man, so a lot of people took him up on that, and they're like, doing some crazy things because he said, oh, Jesus, come back April, 13, April 3rd, 1843. Some people went to the top of mountains so they could be the first to greet Jesus when he showed up. Some of the people, it was just sad. They'd go to the cemetery so they could be like right with their loved one when they uh, came out of the grave. Some of them were just stupid. Some of the, the women of society of Philadelphia, like Philadelphia's housewives of 1860 or whatever, <laughs> They're like, we don't want to go to heaven with all the, 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 the unwashed masses. So they, the upper crust, they like went outside Philadelphia to wait for Jesus. Can you imagine the shock among the Millerites? Uh, not to be confused with the Millerites. Can you, know, can you imagine the shock of these people who trusted William Miller when like on April 4th, 1863, or 1843, we're still here? Oops. <laughs> nah, he was discouraged for a little bit, but Pastor Miller went back to his Bible and got his flashlight out, and he's like, oh, I goofed. Really? So what he says, apparently it's not just April 3rd, it's like a range of dates. A range of dates that apparently goes to February 9th, 2014. All right. Okay, so somewhere in here, Jesus coming back. So many people have tried to predict when Jesus is going to come back, and they've all got it wrong. Can I just uh, give you a simple admonition in case you need it? Don't try to sit with a flashlight and a notebook in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation trying to pinpoint when Jesus is going to come back. Don't listen to anybody who tells you that they think they know when he's coming back because they don't. It's not there in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. He says, No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Jesus like, I don't even know when I'm coming back. Only my father knows that. So if Jesus doesn't know and the angels don't know, who are we to say? But I know. I I really I had about 25 years ago I had a guy say to me, "Yeah, Jesus said we can't know the day or the hour, but we can know the month and the year." <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what Jesus had in mind, right? No. I don't know when Jesus will return, and you should not listen to anybody who tells you that they know when Jesus is going to return. We just don't know. Here's something I can say with the utmost confidence. We are one day closer than we've ever been. And I know that's true because the Bible said so. Ginger read it earlier in Romans 13. Our salvation's nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So We just don't know when Jesus is coming back. But there are some things that we do know about what will happen when he comes back. For one thing, we know when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a raising of the dead. Now, I don't know, it's, it's not going to be like in The Walking Dead. I don't know if any of you are fans of The Walking Dead. I remember Herschel said at one point, I know Jesus said there would be a resurrection, but I didn't think it would be like this. When Jesus comes back, there will be a resurrection, but it will not be a zombie apocalypse. Okay? One of the things that bothered the earliest Christians was the fact that some of them who were Christians and loved Jesus were dying, and Jesus hadn't come back. And they're like, oh my goodness, my loved one is going to miss out on the kingdom of heaven because they died before Jesus came back. And so this was such a concern that apparently the Lord revealed to the Apostle Paul some things that we hadn't known before about his return. And Paul, in turn, wrote that to his friends in Thessalonica. So that's why we have this written in 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says this this is down in verse 13. Brothers and sisters and fellow Christians, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Uh, By the way, fallen asleep, I think you know it's a euphemism for passing away. It's one that the Bible only uses for people who trust in Jesus. Just something you may want to keep in mind. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We don't go first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They go first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And I think of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is in Corinthians 15. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, faster than you can blink at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And he goes on and he says this, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And then when the perishable's been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that's written will come true. Death's been swallowed up in victory. You know, the point of all of this is not only is there going to be a resurrection, but we're going to have real physical bodies in a real physical place. We're not going to be disembodied spirits just floating around somewhere in heaven in the sky or in clouds. We will be real people in real places. We'll we'll recognize each other. Our relationships that we have enjoyed will continue. I mean, why would God create us only to have us like start over or go into some kind of existence that just has no connection to what we have now? And so what what we know is it doesn't matter if a loved one is buried Cremated, lost at sea, lost in battle—it just doesn't matter. There is going to be a resurrection. Everyone is going to be raised. Jesus said this himself, Matthew twenty-four thirty-one. And he, but Jesus is talking about himself, he said, "And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other." I mean, if you're an astronaut, you die on like one of the moons of Jupiter—you're good. Jesus is going to gather, his angels are going to gather everyone. I don't know if you realize that, by the way. Over and over, the scriptures talk about the angels having a role in the resurrection. It's just a little cool point there. So the angels come and gather everyone up, and then when there's the resurrection, we'll all stand before the Lord because this is something else we know. When Jesus returns, there's also going to be a judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that man is destined to die once. There's no reincarnation, there's no looping. Man's destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Now, I will go a little bit into Revelation Revelation 20 because it does talk about what this judgment's going to look like. And This is chapter 20 and verse 11, and the Apostle John wrote the Revelation. And it says here, Then I, John, saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now, another book was opened, which was the book of life. Now, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire, that's the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Alan Johnson said this. He said, man, it's sobering to ponder that in God's sight, nothing's forgotten. All will give an account of their actions. There's going to be a judgment. Now, I've had some people say this, and this might be a question you're thinking about. Like, okay, Jesus is going to judge us at the end of time. But isn't this the same Jesus who said, judge not lest you be judged? Who, who does Jesus think he is to judge us? And isn't that hypocritical for him to tell us not to judge and then he judges? Which is a good question, and we probably ought to talk about that. In Matthew, I think it was Matthew 7 where Jesus gave that teaching, or Matthew 6. Uh, when he's saying don't judge, he's really saying do not condemn another person. When you judge another person, here's why. As human beings, we like, first of all, we are imperfect ourselves, We don't know enough information to make a a good judgment about other people. We don't have perfect wisdom. We oftentimes have things that are wrong with us. How many times have you made a snap judgment about somebody you've condemned something in somebody else only to be embarrassed later because you realized, oh, I didn't know the whole story? Yeah, it's a lot different. We don't have perfect information. How many times have you condemned something in somebody else only to realize later, like, yeah, I'm judging them for that, but it's like, also in my life and probably when you're condemning that other person you're condemning what you don't like in yourself in that other person so when jesus says don't judge it's because you don't know everything you don't have good perfect wisdom and you've got things wrong with yourself but when it comes to jesus he is perfect i heard a great story it's about a pastor from again from over a hundred years ago his name was uh, miller or potter i'm sorry bishop potter And he took a transatlantic ocean liner from America to to England. And as he was traveling, he got on board, and he went to his room, and he realized he'd been assigned a uh, a, a cabin mate. And he didn't anticipate having a roommate. So he talked to the guy for a while, kind of got to know him. And then he excused himself to go see the ship's purser. He went to the ship's purser, and he said, Could I leave my valuables, my gold watch, everything in your safe? been talking to my roommate. I didn't even know I was going to have a roommate, but he seems like kind of an unsavory character, kind of untrustworthy. So I just feel safer if my stuff was in the safe. The purser started smiling and said, absolutely, Bishop Potter. I'd be happy to put that in there for you. In fact, your roommate's already been here. He said the same thing about you, and he put his stuff in the safe. as well." We're not good judges of character. We don't have perfect knowledge, but Jesus does. Okay? First of all, Jesus is God, so he has perfect wisdom. Jesus is innocent. There's nothing in him that when he says to somebody else, you're wrong in that, that he's not condemning something in himself. And he knows everything. Remember those books? Everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, it's all there. There's nobody going to go, oh, I I didn't do that. It's in the book. (laughs) Everything, the things you think nobody knew about, it's in the books. The books that are opened up, he's got perfect No one will stand before Jesus and say, How dare you judge me? Satan himself will kneel before Jesus, and Jesus' judgment will be true and right. There's going to be this judgment. There's one other thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes back, among other things, but the thing I'm most looking forward to is when Jesus comes back, like everything gets fixed. that's wrong with the world. When Jesus returns, there's going to be like a cleansing, and there's going to be a restoration. Again, Jesus is talking about this in Matthew 13. He said, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. Here's the angels again. And the angels will weed out of Jesus' kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. There's going to be this cleansing. And then there's going to be this restoration and everything that, the way it used to be perfect back then and there was harmony between man and animals and man and God and just no storms that kill people and no sin that's coming. When Jesus comes back, Revelation 21, John, this is right after everything that was thrown into the lake of fire, chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea, which is just kind of symbolic. There's no division among people anymore. There's no ocean to separate people. Verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God, and he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. I know some of you... You remember the rock music controversy of the 70s and 80s? Some of you aren't old enough to remember that. Maybe you've heard about it. You mean like, remember that? Like, if you play the music backwards, there's like backmasking and satanic music and satanic messages recorded, and you hear the satanic messages. If you is this ringing a bell with anybody else besides me? Yeah, heard a comedian say, you know what you get if you play country music backwards? You get your house back, you get your truck back, you get your wife back, you get your dog back. You know. Jesus, when he comes back, is going to reverse everything that got broken way back then. I mean, that's worth praying for right there, isn't it? For Jesus to come back and fix everything once and for all. I mean, he's in the process of fixing it, but it totally gets restored when he gets back. Folks, we live in the greatest time ever. I don't know if you realize that, but when the Bible talks about the end times and last days, we're in it right now. These are the last days. We are like in the final chapter of the story. It's almost over. Jesus could come back any time. Like, he could come back today. There's nothing that is remaining to be done. We don't live like 2,000 years before Christ. We're not standing with Abraham waiting for Jesus to come. He's already come. And we're waiting for him to come back. And, in fact, the Bible encourages us to pray for him to come back quickly. We live in a great time. Like, the pie is ready to come out of the oven. Let me just encourage you with a couple of things to think about as we close this out when you think about the fact that Jesus could come back at any time does that fill you with joy or does that give you a little bit of fear i mean are, are you ready for him to come back i think if, first of all like if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus you've latched on to him you say yes i'm trusting in the guy who rose from the dead i'm putting all my eggs in that basket How could we experience salvation and and no fear of the fact Jesus is coming back and not share that with the people around us? I mean, there are people probably who need to hear from you about Jesus. How can we not try to bring somebody to heaven with us? We talk about, like, the second coming of Christ. Are there people in your world that don't even know about the first coming of Jesus? Who are you sharing your faith with? And I want to talk to you if you're like not sure if you really are ready for Jesus to come back and you're not sure if that would be a good thing for you or not. I just want to tell you this. No one deserves to be in heaven. Jack Cottrell said it this way. He says, everybody who ends up in hell deserves to be there. Nobody who ends up in heaven deserves to be there. It's not about deserve, like the difference between who gets into heaven and hell. I, if, this is what, I, honestly, I talk to a lot of people who think like this is what you need to do. Those books that are opened up, there better be more good than bad in those books, because if there's not, you are in the wrong ballpark if you're hoping there's, like your good is going to outweigh your bad. That's not how you get into heaven. If you're hoping that, that, don't trust in this. Remember that other book that was opened up, The Lamb's Book of Life? You want your name to be in there, but your name doesn't get written here by how many good things are recorded in this book. This bo- these books might show where your loyalties lie, but this is not how you get into heaven. You get into heaven by trusting Jesus, by asking him to save you. Like, salvation is a gift. Do you ever earn a gift? No, you just say thank you. You accept it and you say thank you. This is what it means to become a Christian. It's not like somehow Christians are better people. They're like church people and they're just better. No, 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 none of us deserve to be in heaven. The way you're ready for Jesus to come back is you just say, I trust you, I accept you, you're my Lord. I, I confess you before men that I believe in you. I'm immersed in Christ and baptism. You just say I'm in, and that's all it takes. In fact, the Bible says that if your name is in the book of life, it was written there before the world was ever ri- created, which is an amazing thought. God already knew what you were going to do and wrote your name in there. You know, as, I, as we come to our time of uh, just decision and time of communion, what do you need to do to make sure your name's written in that book? And if you're not sure that it's in there or if you don't know, let's talk about that. Can I invite you to stand up right now and let's pray. Father, this is like the story of what you've been doing, and we want to be a part of it. Help us to fully be ready for that day when Jesus returns. Help us to trust in nothing more than the fact that Jesus died for us. And so, Father, we want to be good people. We want to be made into new people, but but we can't do that on our own, so please change us. Please make us a church that's accepting of each other as you change us. Thank you for loving us and help us to say yes to that love that you've shown to us through Jesus dying on the cross. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.